Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. There is absolutely so much to talk about this weekend, from Moto3 all the way to MotoGP, from tech editions on the KTM to terrible tyres yet again. I'm just still absolutely buzzing from this racing. It was a wonderful weekend, a wonderful race. I am thoroughly disappointed and I have to agree wholeheartedly with Simon Crafar here. In the debrief race, debrief, debrief from the race, he said that I think everyone should be mad because we've been robbed here and I absolutely agree with him. We have been robbed of what was shaping up to be the most brilliant race in Valencia. We could all see it going down to the last lap, Martin vs Bagnaya. But before I get ahead of myself, I think we should jump straight into Moto3 because we have a Moto3 world champion in the way of Jamie Massia. Really happy for him. I do think that he definitely deserved this win based on the season he's had. I'm very, very happy he's got a ride for next year. But we got to talk about those aggressive, aggressive tactics. I would actually call them dirty tactics. We saw Masia going into a corner. Sasaki, his title rival, was on the outside of him and he stands his bike up. He sends Sasaki so wide and makes him lose a bunch of time and places. Once you can understand, once is a little bit cheeky, but he does the exact same thing a couple of corners later, a couple of corners, a couple of laps later, and nah, not keen on that behaviour at all. In if it's MotoGP, you can kind of see it, you can see these tactics playing out, but there's still another race to go, for one, and also... This is Moto3. How the stewards let them do this with just giving Masia a conduct warning? Absolutely no. Uh, we, we deserve better than this. We're supposed to be teaching these kids that they get punished. We need to cut this kind of behaviour out when they're young. When they're older with much more experience, sure, let them have at it a bit. But it was definitely giving Sepang 2015 kind of vibes. Sasaki must have been absolutely raging under that helmet. But either way, I am really, really glad for Masia. Like I said, he's been strong this entire season. I'm still pissed at the stewards, but when am I not pissed at the stewards? Let's be real. I pretty much use this podcast as a therapy rant session for all the shit decisions that the stewards come out with. It's just what I do. We did see also... Masia's teammate, Adrian Fernandez, do the exact same move on Sasaki. I think it was at that point I was like, oh, I don't like these dirty tactics. I would have much preferred it if Masia won it cleanly, tidily. But either way, Sasaki put up an excellent, excellent fight this season. It's come down so far, you know, there's only one round to go after this. I think he can be very, very proud of himself. That wasn't, I suppose, what I consider the best ride of Moto3. In fact, I think most people would agree that the best ride for them this weekend, for Moto3 at least, goes to Dennis Onchu. 
the guy jumped the start, although that is quite debatable. It, if he didn't jump the start, that was the quickest reaction time in the history of reaction times. He got a long lap penal- double long lap penalty, in fact, for that jump start. The stewards decided it was a jump start, so, you know, it kind of was. He gets that double long lap penalty. He serves his double long laps, and he comes out in 25th position. He then gets his head down, gets stuck in, powers through the field, and puts it on the podium. Incredible, incredible ride by Onchu. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in Moto2. I hope he adapts well. He's just a feisty little character, isn't he? I say little, he's probably taller than me. Most people are taller than me. I'm 168-ish centimetres, so, you know, it's not that hard to be taller than me, that's for sure. So, he's in P3, in P2 on the podium is David Alonso, another outstanding ride from him. I think next year this championship could easily be his, I think he could run away with it. He's just adapted so well, he's come in as a rookie, dominated the rookies, and he's definitely going to be one to watch way down the line. And in P1, what a way to take the championship. You want to do it from P1 on the podium. Jamie Massia, absolutely incredible ride by him. Very well done. Very, very well done. So let's get on to Moto2. Now, I went in, as I always do, wanting Aaron Kinnett to win. He led for a while. And it was really, really great. But you can probably tell on my voice, he did not win this race. In fact, he came in P3. And I have to say, I'm really starting to doubt whether Kanet's got it in him, whether he really will be taking a win in Moto2 ever, you know? It makes me sad, because I really do want to see it. But I just think... Maybe it's the package he's on right now, so maybe next year, with him moving to a new team, we'd be open to a win. Definitely not this year, though. I don't think so. I just wish he would. So, he's leading for a while, and that's mainly because Furman Aldegar made a huge mistake. I say huge mistake. Furman Aldegar ran wide and plummeted himself down. But there's just absolutely no stopping this kid at the moment. He is quick. Like, insanely quick. I just, I'm so curious to see if he'll take this VR46 ride or how any of that's going to play out. Thankfully, with Valencia just a week away and the testing days after that, we shouldn't have to wait too long now, which is good because practically everyone and their mother has been linked to that Repsol Honda seat this year. It could be anyone at this stage. I half expect them to take Fabio Di Giantonio. Di Giannantonio. I'm going to get that wrong for quite a while. And his name's going to come up a little bit more later in this episode. But I'm just curious. No matter who goes up into that VR46 seat, and I am of the opinion that VR46 should take a Moto2 rider. It's the entire reason that team was established, founded, whatever you want to call it. They're there to bring up new riders. So whether they take Furman, whether they take Tony Arbolino, 
Although Tony Hubbellino didn't exactly put himself in the shop window this weekend, he continues to struggle. This second half of the season, Tony just does what Tony does. He stalls, basically. He sort of stumbles and gets these bad results, and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I still think he would be great in MotoGP. I definitely do want to see two riders go up together. The reason I want to see two riders go up together, because we then have a benchmark. I mean, we know Augusto Fernandez is this year's Rookie of the Year. I mean, what an incredible performance from him this year, don't get me wrong. But it was just so much more interesting to me when we have multiple rookies, because you just get to benchmark them. Another person who didn't have the best race, Pedro Acosta, P12 on the first lap, manages to finish in P8, just a bit of a meh performance from him. But overall, he didn't need to do anything special. He's probably hung over from last weekend. I know I'd be if I was him, that's for sure. So, Ayagura finished in P4. As I said earlier, Kinnett in P3. In P2, breaking that P5 curse, Manuel Gonzalez. And in P1, the man of the moment, the quickest guy on the Moto2 grid, at present anyway, Thurman Aldegar. Overall, it was a typical Moto2 race. There was some spice at the start, and then I rolled over and went to sleep, and then watched it later in the day. Admittedly, these races were on at 1am, 3am and 6am for me. You cannot blame me. I have to work today. I'm doing this on my lunch break to get it done and out to you all. In my usual regular time frame. So I'm lacking sleep. I'm high on like 5 cups of coffee. Definitely feeling a bit wired. But getting into MotoGP, because my gosh, like genuinely my gosh, where do I even start? We thought the sprint was going to be something, and it was, don't get me wrong. But the real talking points, the real semi-controversy, started in the Grand Prix on Sunday. So let's get into that. Before we jump into the Saturday and Sunday action, and my golly, I will be covering it quite extensively for me, because it was just truly truly something. I want to talk about that incident. The incident I'm referring to, if you don't know, is the fact that in free practice two, so this isn't a timed practice, it's not one that matters for qualifying, it's free practice. Yeah, this is probably one of the better times for the teams to test new aero, new bike settings, setup, all of that sort of thing. So this incident happens in free practice. What happens is Franco Morbidelli, yet again, is cruising on the racing line. I admit, I'm absolutely fed up with Franco cruising. Don't get me wrong, I definitely am. I think that the stewards do need to get involved in this situation and he needs to start getting some penalties. Left, right and center. Every time he's caught, penalty. Long lap, double long lap, grid penalties all the way through until he stops doing it because he has been doing it time and time again and it's caught out so many different people it's extremely extremely frustrating but that does not at all excuse what happened next so he impedes Alicia Spargo. Alicia does seem emotional initially 
he's, you know, frustrated and waving his arms around, that sort of thing. The standard reaction that you'd expect from anyone that's just been impeded. Admittedly, you'd expect it a lot more in practice or qualifying, but I suppose maybe because it's free practice, Alish knew that Franco wasn't get, going to get penalised. But what happens next is he rides alongside Franco Morbidelli. Morbidelli raises his arm out. To me, it looks like Franco was going to apologise in that moment. Alish, what he does is he puts his arm out while they're both still on the bike, while they're still both travelling on the bike, and he hits Franco Morbidelli over the head. Unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable behaviour. There's no excuse for that. Alish did cop a $10,000 fine, but to someone like him, that's not a very big fine. And on the topic of the fines, I just, I don't know exactly where they go. I do heard, do heard, did hear that they go to a rider's charity, which I think is a great option. But $10,000 is easy, an easy fine. He also received a sixth place grid penalty. So that put him on the grid right next to Franco Morbidelli, which is, I felt for Franco in that moment because it's a bit of a slap in the face kind of penalty. I definitely think it deserves a harsher penalty. So not only did that happen, it's also Alicia's responses that have me really kind of frustrated and irritated and pissed off about this because He's posted a few times on socials, one of them, and I'm going to read it out, actually. So on his Instagram, it's as follows. I'm still embarrassed by my behaviour yesterday, so I acknowledge my guilt and accept the punishment. Despite, despite losing reason reacting like this, I think it is unfair that I was judged only for the last five seconds. He was walking on the track, blocked me, three curves that almost fell over, and after all, did not let me enter the track. Already the past week, I call Mark like a dog. Every GP hinders one or the other, and at the end, with the tension, it's hard to manage reactions. But worst of all, in his statements he put to my family in the middle. To me, he deserves zero respect. I repeat, once again, I apologize and accept the consequences, but I wanted to give my point of view and put everything into context because I think it's not fair that I am the only one to blame. Good night. I'll admit, he's not the only one to blame in this situation, and Frank Himmelbedelli's comments, I'll come to them in a moment, but the fact that he doesn't really seem to take on board the impact of what he's done, the fact that he reached out and struck Frank Himmelbedelli in the head, on a scale of zero being you know, totally fine writing, to 10 being Fanati and that incident, I think this is a six. I honestly think, at minimum, he should have copped a pit lane start, back of the grid start. Really, I think it was race van worthy. And yeah, that's what I think about it. I do want to say about Franco Morbidelli's comments that his comments were also unacceptable. I don't have the exact statement, but he did say something along the lines of, you know, it's unacceptable behaviour. He then said, I wonder what he's like at home, which is not an okay comment. Not to make in a public space, in my opinion. Families, 
We know Alicia has two kids and a wife. Those sort of comments, unacceptable. Families are sort of like this little protected space. I'm not one of these people that follow the wives and girlfriends like I know a lot of people are. And it's just, yeah. Bad moves all around and yeah, disgusting behavior. Do think it deserved a harsher penalty, but that's on the stewards yet again, because this kind of behavior is really bad, especially for those young guns coming up through Moto3 and Moto2. They've just seen a MotoGP rider hit someone over the top of the head while riding a bike, basically get away with, I'm not gonna say a slap on the wrist, but it wasn't a slap on the head. That's all I'm gonna say on it. Let me know what you think though. Do you think this was too harsh? Because yeah, I'm very curious about people's views on it. I don't think we should be sending death threats to anyone. I never think that's okay, clearly. And quite a lot of time people online do go down that path, which is a little bit cray cray, you know, but that's the internet. So let's get into the sprint. And it was such a sensational sprint. I really enjoyed it. Admittedly, maybe I really enjoyed it because Jorge Martin won and it meant that, you know, he clawed back some very, very important championship points. It is also, we're seeing these, I suppose, spicier Saturdays and the slower, more well-rounded Sundays. It's just the way the season's been. I am quite glad that as the season's developed, the sprints have calmed down quite a bit. The first few were incredibly spicy, <laughs> is the way to put it, I believe. But this wasn't overly spicy. We did see an incident. The commentators initially said it was Franco Morbidelli's crash. I do love the fact that Yamaha Instagrammed saying we've got the receipts showing that Franco Morbidelli was not the instigator for that crash at all. The instigator for that crash was poor, poor Miguel Oliveira. He, what happened according to Anaya Bastaninu, who witnessed the accident, the guys in front of him, they broke early, Miguel was planning on breaking late, he got sucked in by the arrow, and he clobbers into the side of Alicia Spargo. Anaya Bastanini doesn't just witness it like I just said, he gets caught up in it because he then basically collides with Alicia as he's going down, well his bike, and it knocks Miguel, Alicia Spargo and Anaya Bastanini out of the race. And you've got to admit, Anaya Bastanini and Miguel Oliveira, can they catch a break please? I know Anaya won last weekend, but this just set him up for another bad weekend. I really, really felt for the beast. Just some of the worst luck. Maybe it is because they're qualifying further down the grid and that then, of course, in turn leads to more mid-pack action, more fighting. That's definitely gonna be playing a part in this incident. It was extra, extra unfortunate for both Alicia Spargro and Miguel Oliveira. I say this because Anaya Bastanini managed to get back on the bike. He then goes on and finishes the race. Admittedly, obviously his race was ruined, but at this point with Anaya, any data is good data for him to have. He needs more and more time on that bike. I'm really hoping for a strong 2024 from Anaya. 
and it does look more and more likely that he'll be staying at Factory Ducati, which I personally think is a really, really good thing. It wasn't so great for Alicia Spargo, so he did end up with a small fracture to a bone in his leg. I've forgotten which one. I'd probably mispronounce it like I do with everything else, but it was a small fracture. Because he had that penalty looming over him the next day, it raised some questions about the penalty wording. Because again, it says a sixth place grid penalty for the Grand Prix race at Qatar. The stewards have said this is intentional too. I just think it's ridiculous. The reason I think it's extra ridiculous is because Miguel Oliveira, it was clearly his crash, he has a long lap penalty that will be served in the next race that he competes in. And that race is going to be, basically, to be fair, they could have called it the Grand Prix of Qatar because the next race he is going to race in is the Grand Prix of Qatar next year because he has a broken shoulder blade. We saw an AR with a broken shoulder blade at the start of this season. So that's Oli's season done. He won't test in Valencia and he's gonna spend the majority of this summer break recovering, which is a disaster yet again for him. I do hope that he comes back, has a fully fit season, gets some podiums, gets some really good results, and then rides a factory probably in 2025. I think he deserves it. He is clearly a talented rider. This season's just been an absolute disaster for him. Especially this weekend because the Aprilia's looked so strong. He qualified so far down the grid, he said because they just made some mistakes. And given the fact that Miguel hasn't had the time frame to perform and get up to speed with a brand new bike, because he was on KTM last year, this year he's on Aprilia. Sort of in the same situation as the Beast. They're new to the bikes, they both got injured, they had to take this time to get up to speed and learn the bike and now Miguel has had no chance to do that this year basically. Inea hopefully will get another good weekend next weekend for him but really next season you're hoping, really hoping for both those guys that they have great seasons. On to the results. We're gonna start in P5 and we're starting in P5 because it was Peko Bagnaya. In P4 Alex Marquez, P3, Luca Marini, P2, Fabio Di Antonio. I feel like I still slide an extra Anan in there, but great results there. And in P1, Jorge Martin, wonderful, wonderful weekend for one of these two riders. <laughs> it's not Jorge Martin. I was gonna say a wonderful race, but the word weekend slipped out, so that's my bad. I meant he had a wonderful Saturday with Peko Dan and P5. It was, you know, a good result for him, clawed back some serious points, but unfortunately for Jorge, it all went wrong on Sunday. So where to start with unpacking the Grand Prix on Sunday? We'll start with the winner, Fabio Di Antonio. Wonderful, wonderful wonderful, but also very, very bittersweet. We've just had a Grand Prix won for the first time by Fabio, and 
he doesn't have a seat next year. That's absolutely heartbreaking. I just, yeah, it's such a rough situation to be in because he deserves his ride. His timeline hasn't been any slower than other riders in MotoGP. He's a winner in his second year. He's got podiums. He very much deserves to be in MotoGP. And it does make me quite sad that at this stage, he doesn't have a ride next year. Not only does he not have a ride, we don't really know where he could find one. Maybe there's still a chance with that Repsol Honda seat. Maybe, but it's very, very doubtful. It does look more and more like they're gonna take Marini. VR46 aren't gonna take Digi. They're an academy, they bring riders up. That's what they were designed for. I don't blame them at all for that. I just, I am absolutely gutted for Digi. There's nothing that he could do more. That seat's going to Mark Marquez. That's got to, I suppose, have some sort of understanding on his part because Grassini couldn't argue for Digi over Mark Marquez. Mark Marquez brings in the money. He brings in the sponsors. He's going to get their bikes splashed on the front of so many more magazines. There's going to be so much more talk about them. It just makes it so hard. I hope that... Well, what I really want, if Digian Antonio can't get a ride for next year, I'd love for Ducati to offer him basically Piro's role or a similar role. This is a great idea to me. It is number one because clearly he's got the pace. He's got the pace to run with the riders. Two, he could do wild cards. But three, most of all, with the injury rate, and with the fact that we have 22 races next year, Ducati's gonna need subs. They've still got eight bikes on the grid next year. Fabio Di Gianna Antonio is a great idea as a test rider, wildcard, and replacement rider role. It's the smart choice, and I really hope Ducati do manage to do that. Admittedly, I jumped ahead by going straight for the winner, but I just can't hold it in. It's so wholesome. It's, oh, seeing him smile, seeing him on that podium, I just absolutely loved it. I'm so glad that we saw that. And it brings in this nice moment, I suppose we could call it that, of the race. We're coming down to the five last laps. He's following behind Peko Bagnaya, and we see on his dashboard flash up mapping eight. The history behind Mapping 8 goes quite a way back. Jorge Lorenzo was given team orders, Andrea Davizioso given team orders, and it came through via Mapping 8. So you see this pop up on the screen, and I for one was raging. I probably made some tweets that I shouldn't have tweeted, but I still stand by them. I assumed, and I imagined the majority of the people assumed, that mapping eight meant do not overtake Peko Bagnaya. Now I for one was like, oh come on, Digi, you don't have a seat next year, go for it. And he did. Turns out in the interviews, mapping eight was his sign from his team that there were only five laps remaining. Excellent, excellent play. And it got people talking. Basically Grassini trolled us. 
and good guy Grassini, because that was really fun. And finding out afterwards that it wasn't team orders, that it was just, you know, an inter-team sign. And the fact that they knew, they would have known absolute full well what it would do to the public and the people watching when they saw Mapping 8. It's just a great, great move. And yeah, it's nice to find a bit of humour, I suppose, in this particular situation. So that's P1 and P2. In P3... Luca Marini, excellent weekend for him. Two P3s, really, really strong. P4, Maverick Vinales. Now, he was the only Aprilia in the top 10. Alicia Spargo did retire from this race, probably because he was in pain from that small break in his leg. Miguel Oliveira didn't compete in this race because of the shoulder blade. Raul Fernandez... Yeah, not the weekend he would have wanted, given the fact that this weekend, the Aprilias looked quick. They looked like they had the pace to be up there. A little bit disappointing from Aprilia, but disappointment and Aprilia sort of go hand in hand. Every year they sort of show up, and then every year they disappear when it comes to the flyaways. I know it's because they're not the richest teams in the world. I think in the off-season I'm going to possibly dive into Aprilia a little bit more. I think with them having RNF this year, with them not giving the same set bikes to RNF and RNF not testing things, I think it's a missed resource, basically. And I do want to do a lot more on that side of things in the off season. But in P5, we had someone who coming into this weekend, I wanted so bad to win the race. Admittedly, you're probably thinking, Kate, you love Jorge Martin, and you're right. But I really thought this weekend would be Brad Binder's. And there he is, MP5. He put on a great performance, but the tyres and that KTM, it just seems to overdo it for some reason. P6, Alex Marquez. P7, Fabio Quattararo, a great ride from him as well. P8, Anaya Bastanini. P9, Jack Miller, which brings us to P10, Jorge Martin. Now this is interesting. From the get-go, lights go out, Martin wheel spins. He does not get a good start. It's a disaster, absolutely disaster of a start. I'll pop the clip on screen if you're watching this on video format. Dorna, please don't see me. I'm just showing people that I love this sport so much. But yeah, from the get-go, Martin, absolute disaster. Says it's the rear tyre, says it's the front tyre in his briefs after. And there's one comment that stuck with me from it. He said, it's sad to see the championship decided by a tyre. And it does look like it was a dud tyre. And frankly, you and me both, Martin, I feel we've been robbed of a championship fight. Very, very disappointing. We're going into Valencia, I believe, with 21 points gap. Considering coming into this Sunday, it was a seven-point gap. I thought it would be magnificent and come down to that last lap on the last race. Admittedly, the championship isn't over yet, but, you know, yeah, it doesn't feel as exciting. Will I still get up and watch every session of every class, of every race? Yes, absolutely I will. I just wish 
that, you know, that tire hadn't just sank and he hadn't dropped all the way back through the field. I have to give absolute props though to Joanne Zarco. Ultimate teammate moves this weekend. Admittedly the first one, he went wide into one of the turns. That was unintentional, but he didn't fight at all. He did not fight Martin, not one bit. Played the ultimate teammate game. He protected him. In fact, he did more than protect him. In the closing legs of the race, Marc Marquez was making moves on Martin. He overtook Martin, Martin overtook him back, and at this point, Joan Zarco basically dive bombs Marc Marquez, making sure that Marc cannot get past Martin. Admittedly, Marc takes it like a champ whenever people pull aggressive moves on him. He's there, and he's like, yep, was aggressive, but he doesn't complain, and I like that about Marc. Zarco said it was intentional, Zarko also said he expected to be penalised. I'm actually surprised he wasn't, to be fair. We know the stewards like penalising Zarko. We know this. We've seen it many, many a time. And this was definitely a penalty move. He hits Marquez's leg and clips Aero off that Honda. But yeah, doesn't get a penalty as far as I know. What we did see after the race, penalty-wise, was a bunch more tyre pressure warnings. Practically most of the grid has them now. I'm just not going to read them out because I'd be here probably till Christmas, which is scarily close. It's only a month away. But rather than a month away, let's look a week away. We're coming into Valencia. The long-term forecast is that it's going to be mildly warm in the afternoons. So, you know, that's nice for the fans. It's nice for the general vibe of the race, not so nice for possible tyre pressure penalties, but let's talk about predictions. In Moto3, I think we're going to see Sasaki take the win. I think, you know, now all this pressure's off with the championship, I think it's going to be the way. P2, I think we're going to see Dennis Onshu. P3, Masia. I think, yeah, we can't deny the run he's on at the moment. Moto 2, I think. I'm gonna have to go for it. I'm going for P3, Furman Aldegar. P2, I'm going Pedro Acosta. P1, fuck it, it's the last race of the season. Aaron Kinnett. Moto GP Sprint, P3, we're gonna see Peko Bagnaya. P2, we may see Brad Binder. I know it's not really KTM's domain. But I think that's going to be the case. P1, I think we're going to see Jorge Martin. I think that's just, yeah. He's going to have to put everything on the line. He knows the sprint. He's good at it. I can see him taking that. In the main race, I want to say that Peko is going to finish in like P10 or something. He's probably not going to. So I'm going to put him in P3 again. If Peko finishes in P3... He's got enough to take the championship if he gets P3 both days. Even if Jorge Martin finishes in front of him in P2, which is where I think he's going to finish. In P1, I think we're going to see Alex Marquez. I think it'll be every single Ducati except Luca Marini, who's off, probably, to Repsol Honda. Take a win. See ya. Those are my predictions. I'm really excited that the championship fight in MotoGP 
has come down to the last race. I think it's the way it should be. I am disappointed, abundantly, abundantly disappointed by the results today. I do know I'm biased though. I'm a Martin fan. I'm a fan of the rubbing is racing. We did see some aggressive moves from Martin on Bagnaya this weekend, but Bagnaya took them like a champ. Both these riders have made mistakes this year. We saw both of them crash out from Leeds. We've seen, you know, that Phillip Island wrong tyre choice selection for Jorge Martin. This championship year has been marred by mistakes, misfortune and magnificent racing. I'm sad that the season's almost finished. I'm looking forward to the break at the same time. I will be bringing out content every single week, every single Monday. So like and subscribe if you listen to my ramblings, if you enjoy them. And I will be back next week where we will have a newly crowned MotoGP world champion.